understanding that that's what we're working with when we're working with the quote unquote body is an energy system that's self-aware that's organizing itself around the what's happening in the environment and internally then my my work became like intervening in a way with the right force at the right time the least amount possible in the just the right place that the whole system could like change itself and that became the fascination because like once you start doing that you get out of the way and you go wow this is the power of creation of the universe and of the body doing itself all i'm doing is kind of holding up a a lens and a way to focus or magnify something that's already possible Ryan Hartley here, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. Welcome to the interview sessions where I put my curious questions to inspiring people. If this is the first time that you've spent time with the Always Better Than Yesterday community, let me just say thank you for pushing play. I hope that our time together helps you in some way, helps inspire your heart and mind so that you can be better and that you can be better for those who need you. Today, on episode 133, I am joined by Dr. John Amaral. Dr. John is an energy practitioner. He's an author and he's an educator. He has worked for over 20 years with celebrities, entrepreneurs, athletes, influencers, and thought leaders. He helps them elevate their energy so that they can feel and perform at their best. I've been fascinated with this idea of, of energy and, and particularly from a leadership perspective and how we can cultivate more energy for ourselves, first and foremost for our own health and well-being, and secondly for how we show up and lead and influence others. It's a fascinating co- uh, conversation. John's worked hands-on with thousands of people from over 70 countries. He uses his energetic flow approach He was featured in the Goop Lab Netflix series with Gwyneth Paltrow. If you haven't checked that out yet, make sure you add that to your list. Make sure you go and watch John in action. It is incredible. He is the founder of the Energy Flow Formula and the Body Centered Leadership Programs, which combines cutting edge neuroscience and ancient wisdom practices to help participants create and sustain new levels of energy, clarity, and fulfillment. You can head to johnamoral.com to find out more about all the great work that John's doing in the world, his upcoming events and his programs. I really hope something in the next 50 minutes speaks directly to you. And if not you, maybe someone on your heart and mind, maybe someone that you'd care to share this episode with. It's an incredible conversation. Thank you for pushing play. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. This simply exists to help you grow every single day in your heart and in your mind. I hope that there's something in this and the many other episodes we've brought to you that if implemented, absolutely help you be better than you were yesterday. And just finally, these interview sessions are brought to you by our great friends at Web Creation. Head to webcreationgroup.com for stunning websites at sensible prices. Here we go, episode 133 with Dr. John Amaral.
John, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. So good to have you on. How are you? Uh, Ryan, good to have me. Um, I'm doing great. Yeah, thank you. Amazing. We talk about uh, Always Better Than Yesterday helping develop heart-centered leaders. I really believe that helping leaders lead with love that's the secret to leaving people, teams, communities that bit better. And, and I'd love to dive into this topic of, of body-centered leadership. But first of all, just tell us a little bit about your your work and all the good stuff that you do in the world. Um, I, I think like even jumping into body-centered leadership and how kind of mm. how I got there and and where it's going is 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 relevant. But I think like I want to answer your question, but first, <laughs> just around, uh, you know, you, you said heart-centered leadership. And so when I, when I uh, called what I was, well, the events that I was doing, body-centered leadership, the pro, some of the programs, it was, it was really heart. I mean, we, we, mm. the heart is the central, you know, you could call it a central pattern generator. It, it actually is the, it is the most powerful uh, electromagnetic and electrical field of the mm. body. And when you uh, just energetically um, and physiologically, when you connect and you have a, a true experience of the intelligence of and the brain that is in your heart mm-hmm. leading, um, it is not only uh, just a metaphorical thing, but it's, it's a biological shift that happens where your heart actually informs your brain. Um, matter of fact, um, about 90% over uh, high 80s to maybe low 90 percentile of the fibers that go between the brain directly and the heart are going from the heart to the brain mm. in the vagus nerve. Um, and communication is really designed to lead from the heart. So, um, mm. and, and that is a body centered thing. So you can't just like metaphorically sort of conceptually get that. Um, you have to, you have to experience it through your body. So I think we're on the same page there. I have the, the energetic, physiological, biological angle that we can talk about. And, um, and then also what that means, what does it mean to be living from there? Mm. Um, but to now answer your question after my little tangent, um, I love that. you know, I started out as a, I was a fine artist and I was also an athlete, a surfer, skateboarder, uh, martial artist um, and fine artist going to school for uh, art, um, sculpting, painting, um, printmaking, all, all this kind of uh, um, figure drawing. And so I took an anatomy course uh, in order to better understand the human body uh, so that I could paint and draw better. Um, and during that course, I actually took the pre med um, lab, pre med anatomy course at the college. So I was dissecting cadavers and I was in there with all the medical students and the instructor in the lab was like, what field of medicine are you going into? And I said, I'm an artist. And he was like, what, you know, what are you, are you kidding me? What are you doing with your life? And so yeah. he said, have you ever thought about something? You know, he's like, you're, you know, you're pretty much the best student in the class. What, what are you, you know, have you looked at anything like chiropractic? Cause he was a retired chiropractor. And, and I said, no, I never, I've never been to a chiropractor in my life. Never had an adjustment, never had a massage, never had acupuncture. I was in my early twenties, like 20 years old. Mm-hmm. I'd never had a healing experience in my entire life. I was on medications for asthma and allergies and eczema and hives that would break out over my body. I was shot up with injections from the time I was a little kid mm. because I was having all these reactions. They really didn't know how to, you know, the, 
he didn't know what was tied into other things mm -hmm. um, like emotions and unexpressed mm -hmm. things that were happening in the household. And, yeah. and so anyway, long story short, I went, I signed up for chiropractic school, never having been to a chiropractor, ended up in chiropractic college, met my wife there. She introduced me to uh, healing really. Mm. Um, her dad was a medical doctor. Her mom was a nurse. She grew up in New York. I grew up in California. So opposite coast, very opposite kind of lives, but she had a, a, a chiropractor that she was referred to when nothing was working for some stuff that was going on. And she got on this table and he did this like very subtle work. He barely touched her and she felt like she could breathe for the first time in her life. Mm. And she was like, transformed and she was like what is this i need to do this so that's how so she introduced me to more subtle approaches and she got me actually going to practitioners where i started to have my own healing experiences and i started and all of the symptoms that i had asthma and eczema and allergies and all these things my whole life just cleared up within a about a six to eight month period it was all reducing and then with a couple of years later like everything had cleared so I had my own experience and then we started a practice and we had a, a practice working with people for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. And then in the course of the last about uh, probably 12 years or so, I started working with people in more high performance. I started mm -hmm. working with Tony Robbins. I started going around the world and working with different entertainers and um, entrepreneurs and athletes, et cetera. And so mm -hmm. I built a more um, uh, kind of, high performer, high achiever practice, but now I don't even have an office and I only work, you know, kind of with private clients and also do events and do um, some courses and we're working on some digital stuff. So that's the nutshell. Now we can, now I'll shut up and let you know. It's all, it's all good. I am. Um, I, I came into the coaching space when in a time where everyone's talking about mindset is everything. Mindset is everything. And I just knew that there was something about the heart, something about passion, purpose, caring. Um, and I was in a Japanese restaurant and uh, this menu said uh, Kokoro bowls, food for the heart, the mind and the soul. And I was like, that's it. Kokoro, it symbolizes the fact that we have these things that, that serve their own purpose. The heart, the heart, the mind, the body, they, they all have functions of their own. Is that something that, you believe to be true and that you are able to, when you work with people, separate out the, the different functions, the different layers, as it might be in, you talk about yeah. inside out. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are, there are layers. I mean, if you think about uh, like, you might think about it, if you have any kind of exposure to physics, even in high school, like the, what was taught was there's a nucleus of an atom and then there's electrons that are uh, orbiting around in different shells or different energy states around this electron. Um, a more accurate way to look at it is it's, it's, it's a, the electron doesn't actually exist in a, in a specific location. It's more of a, what we call a superposition or a, or a, a potentiality of where, where it could be. It's a more of a fuzzy cloud of probability, um, until someone or something is measured, someone measures it or observes, there isn't really a location for a, the thingness of it, um, and that's really what the energy shells in a way of are the body, uh, the subtle body of the human body are like, um, you can measure the electromagnetic field of the heart outside of the body, several mm. feet or more. Um, but the electromagnetic field of the heart is not, is not the entirety of what the consciousness of the heart is. It's just one aspect that you can measure. Mm. Um, 
you know, you can measure certain, you know, uh, you can see that there's biophoton or, or light mm. uh, communication happening in the body. Mm. There are in the DNA, um, there are, there are um, in the fascia network of the body, there's, there's a kind of liquid crystal structure to it where energy and information is traveling everywhere at once in this kind of quantum um, pattern where, where communication is happening all over the body at once. And in one of the ways that it's, it's communicating is via light, photons of energy, also sound, acoustic waves, also biochemically, also, you know, through um, um, chemical reactions and many different things in electromagnetic fields, all this stuff is happening. But again, that doesn't really tell you what these layers are, these fields of energy that surround the body are. We know that there's a, some, like in all traditions, there's an etheric, uh, or a life force or prana or chi or ki, or there's some terminology for a life force that animates the body. It's not there. This is what I experienced when I was in, in the lab, in that anatomy lab back, you know, almost 30 years, over 30 years ago, mm-hmm. I was dissecting a, a, a human body. This was, it was, you know, there's a body, this is a <laughs> dead person. And it was the first time that I experienced a dead body like that for a prolonged period of, and, and there was no life force there was no animating energy mm-hmm. and it was just like matter the density of matter with no life and it was a very stark recognition at that moment of there's there's something that animates us that is not here right it's just a very very visceral experience of that when you experience um cutting into human flesh that is not there's no 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 consciousness there there's no animating force mm. so um i know that every part of the body every system of the body has um information and energy that is there's a consciousness there are different levels and types or depths of consciousness that exist in the tissues and around the body um and those uh, you might call that subtle energy, but it's a, it's like an energized consciousness or consciousness or a conscious energy that uh, has information encoded into it. That has awareness encoded that is shaping and organizing how the mm-hmm. physical world works. And that became my obsession, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what is this, you know, mm-hmm. which led me to studying, you know, uh, Ayurvedic, um, Taoist, um, um, you know, indigenous, shamanic, all this stuff, like looking at all, what were the, what were the people that were supposedly interacting with these kind of forces talking about? Mm -hmm. So then it gets you into like thousands of years of teachings and wisdom traditions. And then I'm like, what is the science on this stuff? Like, cause I want to know what is actually real, you know, because at that time I, I hadn't really had mystical experiences. I was like, I wanted to like proof. And I got me into the scientific side, looking at biology and looking at yeah. biochemistry and looking at the organic um, processes that are going on. And so I've kind of woven all that together in my work. And I've realized that, you know, I, I would say our body is in our consciousness and our consciousness is in a larger nested field of, lo- of, of more higher dimensions of consciousness until we ultimately expand out to where we get to some kind of cosmic consciousness or one consciousness so the heart is the connection 
to that. I mean, the whole body is the connection, but the heart is the real, is, is a huge part of the dynamic connection to that. The more and more I dive into this, the more my, like, just, I mean, you, you've obviously spent your lifetime dedicated to this, but I, I'm scratching the surface of my knowledge and my, and I, I know that so much of it will transcend my understanding and I'm a, I'm a piece of that. But what I'm learning is that um, this sense of the, the emitting the photons, I understand that that happens most when we're in a state of love. And I find that fascinating because you talk about Eastern tradition, you look at the biblical references that God is love, God is light. I find that fascinating. Here's, here's something written 2000 years ago and, and, and that science is saying this state helps us emit light. How does, how do you, how do you get your head around it? How do you, because what I've seen of your work, there is a bit where you understand the unseen. See, there's, there's an element of faith in, in the unseen, but then you've taken it to a point where you're able to interact within that space and to influence it. And I just love to know, how did you take that step to not only just believe in the unseen, but be able to do the great things that you do? Well, I, I, what happens with any um, kind of practice, if you, if you are involved in anything for, a long period of time with commitment to it, you know, you develop some kind of mastery. Um, and there's the, you know, the kind of cultural adage of like 10,000 hours or whatever. Yeah. It's, 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 it's more than that really. But, but what happens with anyone doing anything is that you get more, uh, your sensory motor capabilities increase, your sensitivity to things increases, your use of force decreases, mm. and your presence with it increases. So like, there's this combination of less force, more awareness, and more interaction with like, the environment around us that allows things to go some more smoothly. And there's a mm. kind of coherent flow that starts to happen. I mean, athletes, you know, I, I actually have a, I'm starting a clubhouse um, uh, conversation about this mm -hmm. um, in the coming weeks with Susan Paley, who's the uh, co-founder of Beats Headphones. Originally, mm -hmm. she has a new company where she's putting uh, sound and vibration into the human body and creating mm -hmm. frequency changes and stuff. So we're talking about flow and we've, had neuroscientists uh, in that conversation and sports uh, psychologists in this conversation about flow. But what happens is you get into these states where everything's just effortless. It's the zone of mm -hmm. total effortlessness. And so as I was developing over the years, um, you start to see patterns and you start to see that a very small um, input into the right area that's most receptive creates a global change. Mm -hmm. So I started using less force and I would find what are the exact, what is the exact vector of force in the exact region of the body mm. that would allow the brain and body to coordinate that input of force and use it to reorganize or, or shift itself. And that is because the system is a very, it's a dynamic, nonlinear, self-organizing mm. system that's constantly exchanging energy between the environment and the internal. And we're always like, that is what equilibrium is. We're constantly mm. having to, to like output energy, draw in energy and find some mm. kind of um, balance, not enough energy. You start breaking down too much energy. You start breaking down. You have to like balance that out. And so mm. that's like that, 
that understanding that that's what we're working with when we're working yeah. with the quote unquote body is an yeah. energy system that's self-aware that's organizing itself around the what's happening in the environment and internally yeah. then my my work became like intervening in a way with the right force at the right time the least amount possible in the just the right place that the whole system could like change itself and that became the fascination because like once you start doing that you get out of the way and you go wow this is the power of creation of the universe and mm -hmm. of the body doing itself all i'm doing is kind of holding up a a lens in a way to focus or magnify something that's already mm -hmm. possible and then i get out of the way and that's like that's i would say how how what i've been able to do is can happen so quickly and look so strange where I could be four feet off the body and then the body's responding because mm. that vector of force becomes an, an, an a focused intention holding the space for a million different things to be happening and knowing what that outcome will be and 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 then I could just literally touch into the space not even touching the physical body and the subtle sensory system is picking up that for as a force mm. just like if you're driving and you see a flashing lights behind you and you think oh, I'm going to get pulled over and get a ticket and all of a sudden your body goes into stress did anything touch you just some photons of light you know so mm -hmm. or somebody blows on the back of your neck they don't touch you but just behind your ear in a way and all of a sudden your whole physiology changes and your like plans for the day are totally changed like mm -hmm. everything changed because of this input of energy yeah did anything actually physically touch you no but did the physical system respond to that because it's a non-linear dynamic system absolutely mm -hmm. so that that's that's where it goes so fascinating and it's interesting your your background in in um chiropractics and you say about the use of force like my experience of a chiropractor here in the uk is brutal <laughs> savage they're the most sadistic human beings i've ever met because when those cracks go that oh that's it. sadistic but um i find it fascinating and i'm aware of the double slit experiment which yes. in, in effect you know for, for our watchers and our listeners is the idea that consciousness can change physical reality so when you're working with people can your consciousness change others physical reality or is that where your uh, sounds and commands uh, would come in and play a part uh, yes it can i mean you think about anybody who would go to travel to some place in the world to be in the presence of some guru some mm -hmm. spiritual guru by just being in that field they could have a kundalini awakening they could have a you know a, 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 their body could be shaking their energy mm -hmm. could be flowing um the, you know people would travel you know to to mm -hmm. be in the presence of jesus of buddha of all these you know very high uh, spiritual beings so um that field that is held by somebody's consciousness is transformational and uh, somebody can be can be just like a magnetic field will move pieces of metal around without touching them the field has an impact on physical reality. There's um, Rupert Sheldrake, Sheldrake out of the UK is, is, is well known for his work on what's called morphogenetic fields. Um, Sheldrake is brilliant and, and, a, and a, you know, a, a very, uh, you know, like a serious scientist um, who was, who was actually, um, you know, very disruptive to the scientific community because he was questioning many of the theories and many of the, um, theories about how things work. Like he wrote a book about how dogs know their owners are coming home from, you know, 
tens of miles away or more and they would know to go at the exact time jump off the couch go to the door when their owner was leaving the office without any kind of communication how how do we know how do how do geese know i can believe right so how do like what other mechanisms could be happening Mm. and and that would influence or inform the way that things are happening in the material world that we can't see Mm. and so morphogenetics uh, genetic fields, fields of information and energy that inform and shape the physical reality. Like how does a salamander's limb grow back? Mm. You know, that theory is that there's a, there's a field of information somehow that is informing those stem cells, how to, Mm. how to move. So we're getting into this now, really we're in the dark ages crawling around in the, and, and we're, we're starting to now as, as people are now starting to, I just spoke with someone the other day, he's, he's the CEO of a company that's growing, you know, organ tissues and they're starting to shape organs, you know, for mm-hmm. transplant, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about fields and we were talking about, you know, this is kind of where things are going energetically mm-hmm. and con- the consciousness, how does a stem cell know to become whatever cell? Where's mm-hmm. that information coming from? Um, the work of people like Bruce Lipton, who was a mm-hmm. who was an instructor of mine in chiropractic college before he mm-hmm. was well known mm-hmm. on the biology of how does our genetic coding know how to be influenced in certain ways? That's like outside of the cell. It's epigenetics mm-hmm. is a big part of it. Um, um, there's information that's in the field around us. So um, this is this is all like exciting territory, and 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 there's a lot of progress being made, but we have a long way to go. In my limited understanding, I'm aware that if we're in states of survival, we we struggle to get to those higher states of being love, gratitude, and and then being able to tap into that higher energy. From a leadership perspective now, we spend so much of our time, the busyness within business is is real. And, you know, I think so often the thing that, that gets in the way of good leadership is this sense of busyness and competition and then you know you work with thousands of people and yet there must be some regular patterns that you see emerge from humans what are some of those core patterns that you would see within leaders so one of the, the core patterns i see among very you know successful and very busy leaders is that um, the creative, innovative um, kind of downloads that come through when someone's in a in a truly you know innovative state where you're open, you're receptive, you're inspired. Um, that um, is harder and harder to access for a lot of leaders because they're filling their time with managing what they've created, whether it's an entrepreneur that actually created a startup or a company that now is like, you know, up to 50 employees, hundred employees, 120 employees, 200 employees, whatever. And now there's just so much fires to put out urgencies all the time. They're in reaction. So now you're slipping into a baseline state of this kind of fight or flight mode where in that state, you have less blood flow and oxygen go into the centers of the brain that are associated with higher level creativity and thinking. Mm-hmm. And you have less uh, coherent flow of energy in your system that allows you to be in sync with things and in flow. And so there's this um, kind of dance of how do you navigate what you've created and still tap into the creative energy and innovative kind of uh, thinking that's necessary to take you to the next level. And you really need to 
um, shift out of that reactive state if you want to make progress because there's a sort of an energy that's bound up in the body when we are in that fight or flight state. That means it's not available for higher functions, for Mm -hmm. higher cognitive functions and also for higher consciousness. And so there can tend to be, and I see this as a pattern over and over, you know, amongst high performers. Um, it's, it's not about oftentimes like developing skills further. Cause a lot of times the skills are there. It's, mm. it's getting into the state, into the zone, into the flow and then learn and then navigating. How do you stay there more often? How do you access mm. that more often? How do you spend more time in your heart where you're feeling connected, you're feeling grounded, you're feeling centered, you're feeling open, you're feeling empathetic, you're feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, creative. And that becomes the, that becomes the biggest challenge and also the biggest opportunity. And so like, that's where I kind of come in because I'm helping Mm -hmm. people develop the tools and strategies, but I'm also helping them physically make that shift if I'm working one-on-one, but also teaching things if it's, if it's digital or whatever. Yeah. It's just so much application, isn't it? Because we, we go to work and, you know, we're humans, we're human beings in the workplace. So anything that works for us in other areas of life, we, we should be able to take that with us. And I think the most simplest thing that a leader should never underestimate is the power of breath, right? Is that the gateway? Is that the starting point for, for many of these things? I think breath, breath brings, you know, awareness, breath oxygenates mm-hmm. the body, breath brings, um, you know, focus and feeling and sensitivity and, and brings more conscious, mm-hmm. you know, attention, um, you know, every tradition and every kind of shamanic work and every kind mm-hmm. of, um, um, state change work always uses breath, breath techniques. Um, what, interesting what, I, what I've found is, so it's as, as critically important as breath is not everybody, um, benefits massively by focusing just on changing the breath because mm-hmm. some people are wired differently and some people um, they kind of get short circuited when they focus too hard or intensely on breathing. Um, some people need to focus more on movement of their body. Mm. They need to focus on feeling the physical stretching and moving or dancing or somehow swaying their getting their body moving. And once they get moving, they start breathing and energy starts flowing. Other people, they need to focus on the energy flow or the visualization of, or the sense or kinesthetic sense of energy. Other people, you know, don't feel energy at all. And that seems very abstract and they need to focus on the breath or the movement. So there's a, what I call the optimal flow sequence, which is in what way do you need to focus and what do you need to put your attention on that opens you up the most? So for me, I, it's breath. I lead with breath. So I, I would take a breath and as I breathe, I sense and feel energy moving and then I move my body and everything goes into sync together. But other people I've found, they do it the opposite. They move their body. And as soon as they start moving, now they can feel energy flowing and then they take a breath and then everything syncs up. So there's a whole process that I've, kind of discovered over time that you know we're all wired differently but there are some patterns and trends so breath is so critical breath is so important and changing the breath patterning changes consciousness so you can breathe in through your mouth out through your mouth which creates this kind of um it could be dissociative or it could be an integrative breath you can breathe in through your nose out through your nose which builds chi builds energy and builds like like 
attention and, and focus. You can breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth, which is grounding and brings you more present. And you can bring breath in through your mouth and out through your nose, which takes you into more emptiness and non-self. Like, so those four breath patterns will alter consciousness. Mm. But again, mm. um, just leading with breathing and saying, I'm going to just change my breathing and that's going to be the answer is, is, is just, um, you know, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't work for everybody, but, but yeah. it's, a, it's a huge part. My, um, the two words I'm about to say were not on my agenda two years ago, and they are faith and surrender. Um, I was not interested in faith, i.e. belief in the unseen and surrender being, you know, I was a man that I was going <laughs> to work my face off, control everything. How much does faith and surrender play a part in, in allowing um, access to, to, to what it is that you help people with? Uh, I, I mean... I would say the word grace, um, mm. you know, grace is what we ultimately, um, w when we really wake up to what's actually going on and recognize the, the role of, of grace, whether, whatever you want to call that source, mm -hmm. God, synchronicity, divine grace, divine guidance, but there is absolutely no, um, <clears throat> you know, true control that, we, we can focus and we can direct and we have, I believe we have free will, mm -hmm. but that free will is in the context of an interconnected universe that's interdependent. And we might think we're choosing something of our own accord or our own free will, but mm -hmm. that could be influenced by generations before and epigenetics and biological changes and cultural fields, morphogenetic fields, all these things can be mm -hmm. influencing what in our energy state at the time. Um, and so if we're in a high energy state and we're open, uh, we will get different information and we'll make different choices. So I just, we do have to surrender to mm. something bigger than us. And we do, um, we do not control mm. the majority of what we think we control. Mm. I agree with you. You, um, you, you said earlier you worked with Tony Robbins and, and, and many, high-profile people what does your self-care look like you you know working with the energies of of, of people how, what does that take out of you and how do you have to fill back up your own energy um you know everything that i'm doing uh works well works better the more present i am the more focused i am the more um connected i am to myself and to mm. everything around me so I really do have to live what I'm, you know, what I'm doing and I have to mm -hmm. walk the talk for sure. So, um, you know, for, for me, um, what I've developed the ability to do over many years, over decades of working with people is, is have this kind of paradoxical almost, um, thing going on when I'm working and that is total commitment to the outcome for the person mm -hmm. with, total unattachment to my role in it. And that's a very interesting and, and, mm. and, 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 and bit hard to describe because it is, it yeah. is like this paradoxical thing of yeah. like, you know, what's going to happen. It's happening and we're going to get there, how we're going to get there. I don't know exactly. I mean, I know all the different like routes that I've gone before, but we may get into new territory, mm -hmm. but it's happening before we're, you know, done with this session or before we're done with whatever it is we're doing, it's going to happen. Yep. Um, but 
it can't be about me in any way, shape or form. I can't be the, the savior or the hero or mm -hmm. the one that gets the significance from, from doing it. I actually yep. have to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. That's the surrender part of it. But then I have to have all of my tools, all of my skills, all of my focus, 100% there for that to actually be able to work. So it's so I would say that's, you know, where I don't get, I don't take on things very, very, very seldomly, like people, you know, they get totally drained, uh, exhausted, working with people leading things, you know, if you're a leader, and you're like, constantly drained, constantly exhausted, constantly just like feels like the energy got sucked out of you. It's because you have an attachment to either um, how you're supposed to be, how you want to be perceived, um, your role that you feel like you should do, the wanting to please others, or mm -hmm. um, or you have an over um, overly strong um, attachment to being right. You have an overly strong attachment mm -hmm. to being the one that like figures it out or fixes it. You want the attention and and the, and the significance yep. of being that special person, whatever. So all mm -hmm. of those things actually bind up energy because now you're in reaction. You're not truly in a, in a flow. And so a lot of what I'm constantly doing besides all the right things, like, you know, we know we got to eat well, we know we need to hydrate. We know we need sleep. We know we need uh, exercise. We, we know we need to meditate. We all, everybody knows that anyone who's in a leadership position, you know, that you have those things all help. Mm -hmm. And then the reason why that people slip into these states where you just go on a binge, you Mm. Just, just, just go someone goes out and smokes a pack of cigarettes and they haven't smoked yep. in like five years they go mm. and eat a whole whatever you know they go mm. and mm. go into their uh, sex addiction or pornographic mm -hmm. addiction whatever like a way to just try to not deal with or feel the intensity of what's going on everybody is dealing with this on a human level so the way that you don't get triggered so much to go off and deviate into these mm. like less than resourceful behaviors is that you deal with what is coming up for you and the attachments that are and the triggers that are happening in the moment as mm. they're happening and, you, and it's bringing a self-awareness to the energetic zing that you get when you have that conversation and you don't like what was said but you're like i'm fine and then you hold that in and then the body's in fight or flight and you're in reaction and then you have to do something to discharge that energy. And if you're still not really dealing with it, then you'll go to an addictive behavior or something to try mm. to diminish the feeling of it. So for me, I'm always recognizing, I'm always paying attention, like where am I getting hooked or triggered or where am I getting invested or in this? And then I'm, I'm like expressing that or allowing myself to just let it let, surrender to it and just mm. let it move through. And if it's not me catching it, then damn sure my wife will. And she'll be like, oh, so, <laughs> so really, you really believe that, huh? And I'm like, oh, yeah. oh busted again. <laughs> so um, you believe your own BS here. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, a, that's a critical for anyone in a leadership position. It's mm -hmm. like, it's really like your use of energy and how efficiently you use energy and how energized you feel is directly mm -hmm. correlated with how um, aware you are of your attachments in these places where you're getting hooked because you have an investment, you have an agenda and you 
don't mm. like the way it's going or you don't like the feeling of it's not going your way mm. uh, or you got embarrassed or you got angry and you didn't express it or you, whatever it is. And if you start identifying those places, the amount of energy that becomes liberated when you then let that go. And you also sometimes need to make the sound of it. You need to move your body. You need to uh, growl or grunt or moan or sigh or cry. And most people have a difficult time um, just connecting to that authentic expression mm. because they're one, they're not connected to that. It's even happening. And two, if they were connected, they're embarrassed by, or they're just conditioned to not go there. So then they hold all that energy and yeah. now they become a tuning fork for that same energy when they encounter it next time. Because if you can't accept something or feel it and express it in yourself, then sure. you are going to encounter it and it's going to get pinged in your system because it's not integrated in you. So now you get mirrored it back and now you'll have an experience of it. But then if you're not accepting it, then you'll blame mm -hmm. that other person. And now it becomes like pointing outside of yourself as if that is the problem rather than you haven't just dealt with you. Mm. Mm, that's powerful. I um, I grew up with a uh, single parent. My mum, she used to work three, four jobs, the epitome of optimism, hard work ethic. But she'd always have a go-to response that is, oh, it'll be fine or I'm fine. Like, and, and I think that was great leadership for her because she made the best of bad situations. But if we flip that, and when we routinely say I'm fine, but the body and the and the heart says otherwise, what are some of the consequences? I guess is it a little bit about what you've just said? Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think you, I, I I agree with you that like there's there's a need sometimes like if there's you know with kids for example, you need to give yeah. them some kind of certainty and stability mm -hmm. that yeah. that like you know if like no nothing's fine everything's terrible <laughs> and you're just this little kid and you're like yeah. okay not, so yeah. but at the same time if there is a lot going on you pick it up in your sensory system and you feel emotionally what's going on but if it's being kind of swept under the rug and if it's constantly always fine and nothing is ever expressed or discussed then you learn to take that energy and that feeling that you have and then just like uh bury it because you don't have a, a an outlet for it and then you get scrambled as a child mm -hmm. because you're hearing everything's fine. You're feeling it's not fine. And, and then routinely you're told that over and over. So you start to learn to distrust your own sensory system and your own feelings. So internally, what starts to happen is there's basically what the, the research that has been done and, and, and some of it is, is, is through a, a heart math Institute, Institute for heart math. Um, when they look at somebody's heart and, another person's brain, you can measure the brain waves with um, EEG, electro, uh, um, uh, sorry, uh, electro, uh, you, have, you have your EEG and your, your EKG. So your electrocardiogram, so your heart and your EEG is your electroencephalogram, the mm -hmm. brain. So mm -hmm. there's a relationship between those waves and they're in, when they're in sync with each other or entrained with each other, then the body's in a more coherent state and things are mm -hmm. in flow when you are around other people who are in a very stressed state and you're in sync in yourself, mm -hmm. their brain and their heart will start to sync up with your rhythm and your system. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really work as well the other way. So it's a person who's more dissonant or more in a very um, frenetic state. They won't pull your coherent brain and heart into that state 
you'll pull them into yours. So we think about like earlier, we talked about someone going to visit a guru and they're just in their yeah. presence and they have this awakening yeah. because they get pulled into that more coherent state. Wow. So what we can do as leaders, uh, what we can do as parents, et cetera, is we can deal with our shit yeah. and then dissipate and move energy and do the work we have to do to get congruent and coherent. And then we just show up and our children or are the people around us or our teams and our employees, et cetera, will feel that congruence and they'll move in that direction. They'll get pulled in that direction. We'll be a beacon of, or a um, provider of energy that doesn't drain us and doesn't run out because it's this, it's just a, a wave of coherent energy that we just give off that is what healing really is about. I mean, if you think about what most of what's happening in the healing interaction is that a more coherent, more aware and present energy is being held. And then the person's body and brain and nervous system starts organizing itself around that. Mm -hmm. So we can be that for, uh, for our, um, whatever it is that we're, we're part of. And we can show up like that and mm. that will, and it's not just a woo woo thing. It's actually measurable. You can measure somebody else's brain showing up in the other person's, you know, heart and brain waves. You can see that people in train are getting sync mm -hmm. with each other. And so we can draw people into those, into those more calm, more coherent states. Mm. And I think that, so what's happening in the body is that when you're super stressed out, you, you go into a dissonant state, the brain is firing the parts, heart rate variability, and all these things start shifting. There is in a less, uh, it's in a less um, um, coherent mm -hmm. um, interaction internally. And, and that's what, happens when we when we get triggered we our body goes into these fight or flight states and so we can pull people into them just with our presence if we're congruent i love that that's so powerful i have one or two more questions then i shall uh, be respectful of your time and um i i saw on your episode with gwyneth paltrow uh you were with julianne hoff and um I was watching recently my my five year old daughter's just done a uh, production of of Greece in a little uh, stage acting uh, group, and uh, so we were doing some research and we were watching Greece the musical a couple of years back and obviously Julianne plays Sandy in in Greece the the musical, and we know that Sandy sings this lyric to my heart I must be true. Why is that true for leaders and what is what are some of the ways with which leaders can be true to their heart you know your our hearts um they they have a brain you know they have a, a an entire cardiac nervous system they have a electromagnetic field and, a, and an electrical current that's you know 60 and 100 times you know greater than the brains um so they, they, um, they provide a, uh, information and, and a kind of, um, organization pattern for the whole system, not only ours, but those around us. So when there's incongruence, when there's, when there's grief, when there's anger, when there's lack of expression of what's really being felt, either because we're just unaware of it or because we're not feeling safe to just be who we are mm -hmm. then there becomes like that dissonant 
um, or disconnected uh, experience where the heart just kind of takes a backseat. And if we were to truly feel and connect with what is really actually being experienced and allow it to move through us and allow it to be accepted as, as, as it is like uh, someone who, you know, just refuses to accept that they're angry or refuses to accept that they're really sad and they're just powering through and trying to control everything and trying to work it. Um, and you actually stop and you finally connect. You can just put your hands on your heart. You can just take a breath and you can recognize, am I even connected to my heart? Does it feel distant? Does it feel lost? Does it feel separate somehow? And even if you just acknowledge that right here, I feel disconnected or right here, I feel separate. That is at least true. Hmm. Like, the body will not lie. The body, the breath, the energy flow, that doesn't lie. So when you connect to that, you get this um, truth. And the truth sometimes is, I don't know what I'm feeling here. I, I put my hands on my heart and I take a breath and it feels distant. And so you just say right here, I feel distant. I feel lost or I feel, and then almost immediately in most cases, you'll take a breath and you'll feel. And you might feel, and someone might find themselves sobbing or, or laughing or crying, you know, or, 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 or feeling very, very, you know, usually it's a sense of aloneness, loss, um, hopelessness, despair, mm. sadness, et cetera, because that's why, you know, because that's what we want to avoid feeling the most mm. as human beings, not feeling enough, not feeling lovable, mm. feeling separate, feeling alone. Um, and so when you feel that the paradox is, and I call this the paradox of change, the paradox is that as soon as you stop trying to fix and change and get somewhere else and you just be with what is, everything changes in that moment. And so that, that is feeling your heart, feeling your body, feeling what's there. And sometimes to feel it, you have to acknowledge that you're not feeling it first. Cause that's at least a truth. I don't know what I'm feeling here. I have no idea. It feels like a, like just did this with a person the other day. He, he put his hand on his throat and, and he had all this stuff that was happening there. And I just, and he had had surgery and, um, and I said, does it even feel like your throat? And he said, no, it feels like separate, like a, you know, mm. like just knock on, you know, wood there or something. Mm. And I said, just acknowledge that. Just say right here, I feel separate or disconnected. And as he was holding his throat, he said that out loud. And then like three seconds later, he's this like, you know, leader of this huge company and he's got everything together and he's holding everything and he's, he's just sobbing. Mm -hmm. And then a moment later, it's like his whole face changed. All the blood came back to his head. All the symptoms he was experiencing went away and suddenly he's back in touch with himself. And now he's able to feel. And, mm -hmm. and that's what that's, what you're asking, I think it's like, what does it mean even to like connect, you know, to that part of you? Like, what does it mean to connect to your heart? How do you do it? I mean, that, that sometimes is you just put your hands there, take a breath there and feel what you feel and notice if you're not feeling and acknowledge that. And then that gives paves the way for something to actually show up. Hmm. That's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that story. And I guess a personal question that I have is, um, have you helped people with tinnitus? You know, I have, and, and um, it's an interesting one because it's a frequency mm. and, and there are different, you know, medical diagnoses is why that might be happening. It could be an, it could be a structural mechanical, you know, thing that happened where someone tore, you know, tore their, uh, you know, their, the membrane there in the eardrum where they had damage physically, et cetera. It can be some like elusive neurological, is this neurological, like what's going on? So 
there are many different, there are different types and there are different diagnoses. And so I've worked with a lot of people over the years with, mm. with, with that. And some people, um, it's instantly changed within like one session. <laughs> Other people, it's been a, a more elusive thing, but we started like what I started to notice, um, is that because it's a frequency that people yep. fe- hear and experience, if yep. you can match that frequency, because think about mirror neurons and the mirroring back of information f- from your sensory system. Mm. If you can match that frequency that you're experiencing inside your ear or inside your head, and you can make that sound, not about making it out loud, out yep. to get it out, but to make it to resonate or match. And you could put your fingertip there. You could put your finger on your ear, or put it on the side of your head or wherever you're feeling it. And you, you do your very best to make a frequency tone or sound that would exactly match that mm. vibration in that region of your body. Mm. And you can exactly connect with it. Mm. Um, and that sound might be super high pitched. It might be, you know, but what and it's mm. usually a weird sound that you would never make because your brain, it, it it's chaotic, really. There's a chaotic element to tinnitus and a lot of conditions where like the system needs to destabilize and go into some kind of chaotic kind of remodeling and we're not allowing it to happen. We're trying to contain it and get rid of it. But just like putting your hands on your heart and breathing and recognizing this is part of me, sometimes we have to put our hand or our attention and our focus and maybe even touching that area to bring our attention to the fact that Mm. there's a part of us that's having a vibrational frequency that's an experience that's not able to dissipate. Mm. Are there potentially damaged nerves? Are there potentially um, many different things going on mechanically? Too many loud rock concerts. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because could you have damage, et cetera? Yes. But even with all of that, mm. we have to look at an, another side of things because you have you have a, a a strong correlation in the in the literature with with um, mm. low back pain and disc injuries, for example. So low back pain is it's a stronger correlation between financial stress and job dissatisfaction in men, and relational stress in women <laughs> than actual damage to a disc or degeneration. You can have degeneration in the vertebra. You can have a disc bulge and all these things going on. And that person could be totally asymptomatic out playing golf. And you would look at their x-ray MRI and think that person needs immediate, like they need surgery. Mm -hmm. And yet they have no symptoms. You could look at someone else with a totally normal uh, x-ray and that person could be in debilitating pain because there are other factors going on. Inflammation's happening. And then you have to look at, well, what is inflammation? What's it tied Mm. into? Oh, the emotional system and white blood cells and histamine responses and all these different things. We just have to expand our um, kind of view on what the body is Mm. and what these symptoms are really about and what they mean. Because symptoms are saying, hey, pay attention. Something needs to change here. You need to take some kind of action or you need to bring a, a focus and attention to this area. And trying to fix the broken <laughs> thing is, 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 a, is an outdated model. It's mm-hmm. more about connecting with the energy and the information mm-hmm. there and then providing a new source of awareness that could carry us in a different direction. That's really interesting because, you know, in my, in my times, I've, I've really got into meditation over the last few years. And when I get to that point where I, what you said around meeting and matching the same pitch, at that point, I can change the volume consciously i can bring Mm -hmm. it down bring it i can't turn it off just yet but i can 
And then every now and again, I catch myself and I jump and it'll be like, Oh, it's almost, it was when, and it, you know, mm-hmm. and, but, um, so here's what I'll say, you know, and this is, you know, applicable to everybody listening or watching that as soon as you stop trying to have it go, mm-hmm. make like do something to make this go away. And you let that energy, you seek to let that energy be discovered and felt and experienced and allow it to take you on a journey. Mm. And you let it become the primary leading rhythm instead of you trying to be separate from it, everything changes. So, uh, because there's no, there's no it separate than you, that tinnitus isn't a separate thing than you. It's an experience that you're having as part of you. That's like a, uh, you know, some kind of fractal fragment that's vibrating at a certain frequency and you haven't fully invited it to express you know, it's like, it's like a board meeting is going on and there's one person that's just like sitting there with all this information to share. And you're like, nope, you're not speaking. Mm-hmm. And so you want to invite them to actually share, let it all out. You know, we're not going to fire you. We're not going to get rid of you. We're not going to do a thing. Oh, we want to hear everything. And then you're like, oh shit, maybe I didn't want to hear all of that. Because, <laughs> and that's why we keep it separate because the information there was hard for us to digest in some way. So the body fragments that off into different kind of well, silos. Yeah, I appreciate that. My final question for you, my friend, and, and thank you so much for this conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, uh, my final question is, what does the phrase always better than yesterday mean to you? Um, well, I mean, interesting. Uh, there's some different, it's hitting me in some different ways, but I mean, always is to me the infinite. Mm. And the infinite, the source, the one, the, the timelessness, mm-hmm. um, when we go there, uh, it's, it's always perfection. And so yesterday may be the pain yesterday, may be the, maybe the illusion of like this happened to us, or maybe something did happen to us, but the, the suffering is in the attachment to, um, kind of what happened, the liberation is in the always is in the infinite nature of the universe so um and better is a very subjective thing but i would say better is going to the the source of of life and the source of the universe and uh that's always going to be better i love that love that great great answer (laughs) i can see you processing that thank you so much for your time thank you so much for the great work that you do in the world i'll share all your good links and in 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 the show notes and i'd just be honored if you'd leave us a final thought from your good self um you're more than enough and you absolutely have all the resources within your reach or within you that you need um do what you're going to do uh, that, that you're called to do that you're inspired to do. And, um, and don't wait because, uh, it is a, it is a short journey Mm. and, uh, and, uh, and we've got a lot to do to contribute to this world. So make it happen. Go for it. Thank you. Thank you very much. There we go. Episode 133 with Dr. John Amaro. What an incredible conversation. This topic of energy and vibrations is really is, is in, is at the forefront of my heart and my mind right now. There are so many different conversations I've had over the last 
10 to 20 interview sessions that have led me down a path to to great work by Dr. John, the HeartMath Institute, um, Joe Dispenza, Bruce Lipton, some incredible work out there. And I feel like there are some truths being continually revealed to me about spirit, about love, about energy. And I'm really enjoying the journey and I'm just so glad that you can come along with me. Um, In a couple of weeks time, I will be publishing an episode with the CEO of the Heart Math Institute that Dr. John has referred to. Again, I can't wait for that conversation. I'm sure it's going to blow my little heart and my little mind uh, or shall I say my big heart and my little mind. Um, but thank you for thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of our community and thank you for choosing to grow together. I think that's the real heart and testament of a community is a group of people who choose to grow together. And I'm glad that you're along for the ride. Invite someone along with us. Bring someone along for the journey. I think it makes it more meaningful and fulfilling when we can share experiences with others. I really appreciate you. Be sure to reach out to me if you've got any questions or if you just want to encourage me. You know, one of my love languages is words of affirmation. If you'd love to encourage me, feel free to do that. But I'm grateful for you and uh, I look forward to hearing from you again soon and sharing another great episode. I appreciate you. Always love you.